Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Oval Roach. If you search for tenderness, it isn't hard to find. You can have the love you need to live. But if you look for truthfulness, you might just as well be blind It always seems to be so hard to give Honesty is such a lonely word Everyone is so untrue Come for 
back a beautiful way to start the show roach on recovery this is your host Arvo roach along with the producer co-host engineer call screener and we weren't able during our short absence to come up with another job description and add something else onto that job description so we'll stay as is for now 646-564-9909 is the number Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is the number if you want to call and speak to us. If you want to listen to our show live, you can just go to our show website, and that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, that's blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. You can also call in on the call-in line and listen that way if that's your only means to do so. Then you got to make it happen. Got to make it happen. Well, we had a two-week hiatus. Is that how you guys pronounce it out here? That, yes, a hiatus. How would you pronounce it back there? Uh, hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, we took some vacation time and some time to take care of some organizational business. See, and so um, we couldn't come up with another title for my position. However... I'm just glad to have the titles that we have come up with back because we were put on a two-week hiatus, as the host might call it, being from New York. And uh, I was not given an explanation as to why other than the aforementioned term organizational business. And so not only myself, but other listeners and followers would like to know, inquiring minds would like to know why the two-week hiatus and did we accomplish what we wanted to accomplish? And this way, I get to drop my favorite soundbite on the dashboard. Okay. Give us the news. All right. So a couple of things went down. First of all, uh, the family and I had a very nice road trip. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Old, old all right. Road trip. Loaded everybody up in the monster. Now I want to know. Truck. Oh, the monster. So you didn't yeah, take took- the classic... The classic that you have no, out there. The we beast. went, we went beast full comfort. Yes, because uh, we had uh, all living creatures, including one dog minus the big dog. 
Okay. So uh, it was fully loaded, seven seven strong. Fully seven strong. Plus fully luggage. Loaded, and that's right. With the little all ones. All kinds of doodads for the little ones. So, And yeah. a road trip, what was the final destination? The ultimate destination was Pasadena, California. Okay. The we went ho- home of the Rose Bowl. That's right. Rose Bowl and, happened and, to be the and Super Bowls of of uh, yesteryear. That's right. The Rose Bowl happens to be the arena my wife's alma mater, USC, plays at. Yep. However, she does not care uh, one bit about that. But I'll throw it out there. Okay. Um, and so that was a very nice ride going down, and we took the scenic route down coast. Well, a little bit of coast, a little bit of one on one, but just definitely is uh, the scenic route. You didn't hit five. <laughs> You didn't we, no, we eventually crossed over in the bake, you know, and you know, in the Bakersfield crossover, sure, yeah, yeah, forty six. But most of the way down, we were on one because we spent time in Monterey, Carmel, oh, you know, areas that we haven't been to. Very nice. So it was nice. We hadn't had a road trip in a long time. Great. And so. the little ones, the the grandbabies, did they have a blast? Uh, well, the toddler one definitely. The other one didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> the the three month old. <laughs> Right. So just right. being just dragged around and tossed around. <laughs> right, exactly. Against its will. Okay. All right. Uh, against his will, we should say. Uh, as far as organizational business, we were taking time out to uh, not only plan for a very valuable thing, our OCG graduation. That's right. For some graduates that we've had. And uh, also getting ready for what we are now in, National Recovery Month. Right, right. Um, so there are some things that were being planned locally in the local community that I was a part of uh, on September 1st um, that were being planned. And um, maybe through some magic of uh, technology, one day we can uh, load up the uh, the brief speech I gave. Okay, <laughs> nice. Well done. Let's see how that came out. Okay. Uh, I know they have it up on YouTube, but. Maybe we can get the audio. Um, so that's what we were doing. And then we were also uh, doing various kind of uh, spiritual, religious, you name it, indie, I mean, any any type of uh, 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 thing to uh, make sure that our um, studio was going to be up and working when we came back. <laughs> that's right. So you throw all those three together, and they, there you have the two weeks, uh, two weeks off. The two-week hiatus. Yes. All right. Okay. I think that's uh, that's understandable. That's fair. I don't need to pick a fight any further. That's why I was cut off from my privilege. Well, we're back. We are back. And so far, so good. Uh, let's talk NFL real quick. Oh, yeah. And so, boy, I should have. It's right there. <laughs> Yeah, I did pull that up to the top of the board, hoping, hoping that I'd be able to use that because we are officially in week one. Game one of the season is Thursday. Two days away. Yes, indeed. Unsuspended Tom Brady will be playing on national television. He will lose on appeal. (laughs) So that will be unfortunate that he will miss games uh, 
12, 13, 14, 15. After they've clinched. Yes, exactly. (laughs) While they're in a dog fight in the AFC East. But let's go real quick with your bold preseason, pre-first game of the season, bold picks for uh, the NFC and AFC championship game. Oh, okay. uh, participants, and then your Super Bowl participants, and then your Super Bowl winner. Go. Boy, boy, I haven't even had a chance to think this one through. Uh, AFC, the champions of the AFC will be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, so you want me to come up with an AFC championship game, like who they'll play yeah, to yeah, get to the yeah, Super Bowl? Pittsburgh versus... Pittsburgh versus... Will Denver finally do it? I mean, that's the – no, you know what? I'm going to go – this is bold. I'm going to go Pittsburgh-Indianapolis for the AFC championship game. We'll go Pittsburgh winning that. Mm-hmm. From the NFC, it's just cruel that you even make me do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the NFC, Oh, the loss of DeMarco Murray. That's the only thing that hesitates on having put the Cowboys in the championship. Um, yeah, he had a big fumble, thank you, in the division playoff game. <laughs> um, we'll say – we will say Dallas and uh, – oh, man, I don't, I don't want to go Seattle. We're going to say Dallas-Green Bay. Okay. Dallas Green Bay NFC Championship. Uh, we'll go Pittsburgh either on the road or at home. Pittsburgh's getting in in that matchup in my mind. The NFC Championship will say will be won by the home team. So if Dallas is at home, they'll win. If they're in Green Bay, Green Bay will win. And I think the champion is coming out of the AFC. So Pittsburgh will will ultimately win that matchup, whomever that may be. All right, mine's is not going to be so long and drawn out. I'm going with the Jets versus the Steelers. The Jets in a romp in the AFC Championship game. Homer! Uh, I'm going with the Giants versus the Cowboys. Oh, my. Uh, and, got- then, and then the Cowboys, unfortunately, in a romp um, over the Giants. And then the Cowboys over the Jets for uh, the Cowboys to go get back their Super Bowl winning ways and to start on a uh, – a, uh, three straight Super Bowl wins. And for those of you who don't know out there, the host happens to be a Giants, Jets, and Cowboys fan, so he just picked all of his teams to, to be represented in some way in these championship games. Absolutely. That's okay. That's all right. Um, so I guess before maybe we get into what used to be known as the Chum Chum, our little gentleman's agreement, if you will, mm-hmm. let's just go with our team straight up. Well, what would you? What are you predicting the Dallas Cowboys' record to be? Eleven and five. Eleven and five. I am going to have to predict for my Niners. Oh boy, seven and nine. Okay, would be tops. That's for me. good, huh? I don't know. I mean, I could easily go six and ten. Okay. Vegas has the over under at seven and nine. Okay. And you don't want to push with that bet. So they're saying, okay, you either pick that they'll be eight and eight or better or six and ten and worse. I okay. might take the under if I was forced to, but I could see him finishing right at that mark. Six and ten, seven and nine. Although I don't like to admit it, I have to be realistic. A man who's never head coached in the NFL, 
uh, an offensive or defensive coordinator, I should say, who – no, offensive coordinator. Our defensive coordinator has coached with the Jets and the Patriots. You do remember that your previous coach came right out of college and shook up the world. I do remember that, but uh, I don't know. I, I think he's special. I think it's safe to say four NFC championship games. That's a special guy okay. right there. All right. So uh, the, the Chump Chump is going to be against uh, the Niners versus the Cowboys. Folks, for those of you listening, the host and I do this every year since he is a Cowboys fan and I'm a Niners fan, and they are our tribal mortal enemies. <laughs> uh, and so every year when they don't have a head-to-head, we usually have three go-to bets. And when they do have a head-to-head, then we use that as one of the three. But they don't this year. So uh, best record. Best record is one of them. Uh, best offense and best defense. Right. Now, offense and defense, typically when you watch Fox, ESPN, whatever the case may be, the way they rank that in the NFL is by yardage. Uh, but we go scoring offense and defense because yeah. yardage is skewed. I don't even know why they do that. But um, you could give up 90 yards on a drive and stuff them on four goal line tries, and that's the defense stepping up. So, yeah. so it looks like uh, I'll be treating you to some Applebee's. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Sometimes here throughout the salad. That's right. Sometimes here throughout the year. So, all right. So yeah, excellent. Got that out of the way. It's on the air. Lock it in. Okay. Uh, just before we get to our topic, um, are the Yankees going to make the playoffs? Hmm. They're they have they're a slipped, game and a half back. Slipped into second place. I haven't checked the standings to see if their record would give them a wild card fight or not. But um I believe yeah, they're, okay. they're in the wild card race. Okay. All right. Treatment and recovery, the unwritten in the beginning. There okay. was heaven and earth. <laughs> That's right. There was heaven and earth and the core four. The core four. You can't make it without them. The unwritten philosophies uh, I wrote in our program, our show description, that there's 14 to 17, depending on who you talk to. Yeah. Some people are originalists. They like the original 14. And then there are people who go with the 17, some that I've never heard of, that I've seen written down some, mm-hmm. in some places. I'm like, wow, I never saw this one hanging on a wall, but it's listed as an unwritten philosophy. And and what's an unwritten philosophy? Well, we certainly do not have the the copyrights on the unwritten philosophy. These are sayings that have been around from time immemorial. I mean, things like "Be careful what you ask for; you just might get it." Right. We didn't make that up. What goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. So. We have these unwritten philosophies that are hanging around the facilities as reminders and, and guide paths for people to to utilize as they go throughout their treatment and recovery process. Right. Um, what we want to talk about today are what I dubbed the core four, the four most important ones to start the process of laying the foundation of treatment. And setting that guide path, if you will, or to use a aircraft analogy, that glide scope. Okay. Okay. You know what a glide scope is? 
I've heard, I've heard the term tossed around. Coming in for landing, they got to line up and get attached to that glide scope, and then the pilot can just take his hands off the wheel. Let and it ride. The computer ride. just takes it on in. That's right. Hands off. But you got to be on the glide scope. Core four of the unwritten philosophies that we have are honesty, and they're in this order for a reason. And we're not just pulling four out and saying these are the four most important. In this order, honesty, and that's why we let off with Billy Joel, by the way. Trust in your environment. And you notice it, doesn't, it just doesn't say trust. It right. says trust in your environment, act as if, and responsible love and concern. Now we'll talk about all four of them. That sounds good. Let's start with honesty. The big one. Treatment, success in treatment and ultimate success in recovery is not possible without it. Numero uno, the most important one of them all. And watch it now, because when we say honesty, we're not talking about me being honest with you, you being honest with me. What we mean when we say honesty is you being honest with yourself. yourself. Yep. Because you can tell untruths. I use the word untruth because in my household growing up, you weren't allowed to say the word lie or liar. <laughs> That was almost like a curse word. Okay. So you have to say untruths. Sure. Okay. Um, so you can tell untruths to others. Right. But you can't be untruthful to yourself. When you're looking in the mirror, you know inside what your truth is. Okay. And so what we try and stre- stress is that you must be honest at the very least with yourself. Right. Because you can't fool yourself. You can't kid yourself. You can fool me. You can kid me. You can, you can, you know, fool other people, but you can't fool yourself. You can't hide yourself from the truth. That's exactly right. You always know what the truth is. And so we say, be honest. Look yourself in the mirror and speak to yourself. Who's there? Who am I? What am I? As I sit and or stand right here before this mirror. Mirror, mirror on, on the, the wall. wall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you must come back with the honest truth. If it's, I'm an addict. I'm a thief. I'm a liar. Oh, there it is. I'm an Sorry, un- mom. <laughs> I'm an untruth teller. <laughs> Etc. You got to say it like it is. Because until you hear yourself say these things and speak the truth about yourself, you're just bouncing around it. See, it's different if you come out and say, you're a liar, you know, you're a thief, you're a manipulator. That's you throwing it onto me. Right. It's a totally different to look at myself and say, you know what, I'm a liar. I'm a manipulator. I'm a this, I'm a that. And accept that, that that's who I am so, at this yeah. moment in time. And that's who I've been during my life of addiction so far. Right. So that must happen. We can't jump past that to the next step until that happens. That, yeah, and, and that is the first step. Right. We can't jump to the next step, the step after the next, the anything. You, we got to be honest. And I like what you say about 
because the typical mindset when you hear honesty or someone needs to be honest, the way they relate that or define that in their mind is by using the opposite of that, which would be, well, then this person needs to stop lying to people and Mm -hmm. that falls into stealing and and whatever, everything Mm -hmm. else. But it's not about the interaction with others, like you said. Because there will come a point in, I would imagine, any addict's life as they get older or go in and out of programs or jails where people won't care if you're lying to them anymore. Right. Like, it, you lying to me does nothing to me, so you can keep telling lies, and right. I couldn't care less one way or the other. And so that forces the individual then to, you know, it, turn it on themselves. Right. And that's what we're talking about is reflecting with yourself. Are you an honest individual? Not because you told your girlfriend you loved the haircut when you didn't or whatever mm-hmm. you, you might be saying an untruth mm-hmm. uh, has to do with you being an honest individual with yourself, admitting right. that, Hey, there's things I need to work on this, that, and the other. I think that's a huge, huge part that people miss. Yeah. Admitting your flaws, your shortcomings, your weaknesses, et cetera. Right. And the time to do that, of course, is in the beginning. Um, that's why we wrote in the beginning. So once we have sufficiently conquered the honesty issue, and of course the goal is you're honest with yourself, you learn to be honest with yourself, and then you extend it outwards, of course, and you start to be honest with people around you. So that's the goal. The next thing we have is trusting in your environment. Now, a logical question could be asked, well, you know, it seems that it would be harder for someone to trust in this unknown environment that I've just entered into. I don't know anyone. I don't know anything. And you're asking me to trust in this environment um, versus maybe trust some people that I might get close to. Well, when we say the environment, we just don't mean the you know the physical like the chairs the and, and the walls and so on and so forth. That when you sit down to dinner, your chair won't collapse underneath you, and, right? And and that there's no poison in the food, or I mean, we can say trust in whatever exists in the environment. So that means people, things, processes, processes, etc. Okay. Now, why is that important? I've had so many people, and I'm going to tell you the way I just slice and dice them real quick. So many people say, I don't, you know, I don't trust. It's hard for me to trust people. It's hard for me to trust so I can open up and talk and so on and so forth. I say, wait a second. <laughs> because I think I'm talking to a person who was an addict, was out on the street using drugs and so on and so forth, right? Yeah, I, I am. Okay. So you're saying to me you don't trust. No, I don't trust. You know, it's hard for me to trust people. But when you took your $20 bill, and gave it to the cop man. That's what we call it back east. I don't know what you call it out here. You trusted that you were getting marijuana and not oregano. You trusted that you were getting cocaine and not borax or rat poisoning. You trusted you were getting heroin. That's what we say back east. We know it's heroin, right? And not, again, rat poisoning. Right. You trusted you were getting whatever it is you were paying for, whatever the drug was, and not something else. So why is it, was it so easy for you to trust a total stranger behind a wall with a hole in it 
that's how we coughed back again back east. You know, it's not it's not like the lovely out here where you have the sunny the sun and the beautiful <laughs> residential neighborhoods. You can just you know go into people's homes. It wasn't like that back in the hood. But you can trust that person and that environment. But you can't trust a rec- uh, an environment that's grounded in recovery. That's nonsense, I say. Yes. Now, I uh, understand when you say it's hard for me to open up and talk about my the, feelings, the real. my issues, the real, as you said. I understand that. Right. And we can take baby steps when it comes to that. You don't have to come in and just throw everything up, you know, first day. We understand that. But let's get the trust thing in perspective. You know what I mean? Let's kind of look at, hey, when it came to trust, I was trusting all the negative things and wrong things out there with no problem. I didn't even give it a second thought. Yep. So now you want to come in here and get all intellectual on us and give it second, third, and fourth thoughts. Instead of just doing what you did out there with saying those two magic words, which we can't say on the radio, and I'll just give you the initials, one starts with an F and one starts with an I, and saying those two magic words and saying whatever happens, happens. You did that out there. Why can't you do that in here? In here, meaning in any treatment environment mm. that you're starting the recovery process. So it's a must that you say the magic words and trust in your environment. Because this environment is not going to hurt you, harm you, sell you anything that's going to be not in your best interest or health. It's a safe environment, Mm -hmm. secure environment. When I say secure and safe, I mean not only is it physically safe, we do our best as staff and providers to make sure it's, it's as emotionally safe as possible. That's we, don't, right. we don't guarantee emotional safety. We don't guarantee it because sometimes things, you know, things get said. And I always tell people, I said, look, I cannot guarantee that your feelings won't get hurt here. As a matter of fact, I can more possibly guarantee that your feelings will get hurt. Here, as you begin to talk, expose yourself and and share your feelings, that your feelings are going to get hurt. But what I can say is that if I hurt your feelings, it'll be because I'm trying to help you, not because I'm trying to purposely trying to hurt you. Right. And I don't think the street can say the same. The street doesn't give a rat's ass about you. Are we allowed to say ass? It's in, the yeah. Bible. it's in the Bible. Right? Yeah, I believe so. It's right. a three-letter. Okay. We couldn't say it in my family. Okay. Even though it was in the Bible. Don't care. <laughs> you say donkey. That's it. <laughs> um, so you had to trust in your environment, and if you didn't, and you could not get over that trust hump, either intellectually in your mind or in your heart and your gut, you couldn't get past that, or you used it as a means of not putting yourself out there, not getting involved, not sharing, okay, then you're just going to get, you're just going to be stuck right there. You're just going to be stuck. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so what are, what are our options as a provider to, to 
to unearth you from that stuck position. You know, I mean, we, I mean, we're gonna, we have to use neutral psychology, reverse psychology, six geared psychology. You know, <laughs> right? Triple reverse psychology, double reverse psychology, flea flicker psychology. You name it. Modern untested psychology. There you go. Freudian psychology. <laughs> we'll try anything to unearth you from the position of oh, I, don't, I don't trust. I'm not going to trust. I don't care what you tell me. I don't trust. You have to trust in your environment. And maybe this has a correlation. You have to have faith Mm -hmm. that putting trust in the environment is going to have a positive result and not a negative result. That's what it comes down to. Absolutely. Then we get to the act as if. Interesting thing about the act as if this one you can use, and I got a little something to say about this one too. I'll okay. let you start it. But. Okay, I was going to say you, the act is if you can use so many places. It's not even just relate, just you know, confined to treatment, treatment. settings, right? Right. You know what I mean? Go ahead. Oh well, I was. It was partially what you were just talking about. Now, um, one thing that really surprised me when I first began college and was studying psychology as mm-hmm. that was going to be my major, um, I can recall going through a college-level textbook for a psychology class and seeing encounter group mm-hmm. in the book being mm-hmm. described as a therapeutic tool that's been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, we called it slip group, I think, back in the day. But same in, thing. In California, you guys called it slip group. Yeah. And, um, and act as if. Mm-hmm. Act, uh, an actual psychological phenomena kind of and there's actually a movie out for anyone who's listening and wants to learn about it of the stanford experiments Mm -hmm. it's one of the most famous experiments in the field of psychology to date was a doctor from stanford who selected 24 male students 12 of them were to play the role of inmates 12 of them were to play the role of prison guards And they made this as realistic as possible from using real cells to um, arming the guards with weapons if Mm. needed, Mm. um, uniforms. And in order for the research to be conducted properly, the guards needed to follow directions that were given to them by the people conducting this test. And it actually ended up where uh, by the end of the experiment, the the doctor was going to be taken to court Um, and put in jail for the experiment. The guards ended up getting incredibly violent. I believe a couple people lost their lives, and I don't know if it was to suicide after the experiment because of the trauma or one of the inmates was actually beaten to death by some of these guards. And the the whole theory behind this proved that if you act as if for long enough or pretend as if for long enough, you will actually become what it is that you are being told to or pretending to be. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually a really serious and kind of interesting psychological phenomena. And it, so point being that it's outside of just the treatment facility. A lot of people can come in and they just assume everything they hear or read is just our way of doing things. And we're brainwashing people. And it's like, no, this stuff exists in society. And And there's a reason we have it. And that's why I've always said, I said, we did not 
Yeah, we're not the creators. We didn't create these unwritten <laughs> philosophies. They, right. They predated us by how, however many millennia. Right. Um, I said, but they're good philosophies to live by and to narrow it down to what we're talking about. Act as if in the treatment setting is is a very important unwritten philosophy because when you come in, you don't feel good about yourself. Your self-esteem is low. Your self-confidence is low. Your insecurities are high. Your fears are high. You, you feel inadequate in certain areas. So we say until those things start to turn themselves around, until you start to feel better about who you are as a person, act as if you are that way. And before you know it, you'll begin to feel that way. You understand? Yeah. And so this is one of the things we, we try and drill into uh, a new clients coming in that we know you don't feel good about yourself. We know these things. So what we're saying here is even though you know and we know, okay, we still want you to act like you believe in yourself. Right. Act like you can trust yourself. Act like you can you're not afraid of standing up in front of the family and reading a poem or something like that. Yeah, act like this environment is one that you do genuinely trust. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And in time, if you act as if, it'll become as if. That's the saying. Act as if until it becomes as if. And then I think the 12-step AANA um, have their own similar to that one. In the yeah, step. You're, you're absolutely right. The, I mean, so, I mean, outside of the treatment setting, you know, when someone is saying, ah, oh, you know, I'm not sure, I'm like in sports, someone's saying, ah, oh, I don't think I can guard that guy. So act as if you can. Right. <laughs> act as if you can guard him and just guard him. Um, so it, it 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 transcends the treatment setting. Yeah, is absolutely. what we're saying. But to our narrow focus of the treatment setting, there's probably nothing in terms of physical, okay? Because it's a physical thing to act as if, um, act as if you want to be here, even though we, even though you might not seem like one. you do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there, you're making your bed, you're doing all of these things you know, that you don't want to do because you don't want to be here, but you're acting as if you do because it's our hope for you that at some point there'll be a flip, a light switch will go on. Something will happen where you'll turn around, turn around and you'll say, you know what, I need to be here, so let me start investing in these things. Right, and you can extend that as far as even act as if you want to change, yep. even if you don't. Act as if you want to stop using drugs. Even if you don't, I mean, things that's, they almost sound silly mm -hmm. thinking about it on that level or elementary, but yeah, pretend you want to be clean, you know, and, and see what happens. Yep. And it really is powerful. Now, the last one of the core four is probably the one that has gone through the most culture shock. <laughs> and the way it's shown, uh, <laughs> Well, we could have, I mean, we've written it the way it is, responsible, love, and concern. But culturally, uh, it can be summed up in one word, snitching. <laughs> yeah, that was a... And so 
when this seeped in to the treatment environment, the you know, the snitching as a counteract or counterbalance to the responsible love and concern that we've been preaching, okay, mm-hmm. we were like, wow, we now have this counterweight coming in that's kind of butting, you know, butting heads up against what we're trying to get people to do. And so me personally, I had to come up with an avenue to kind of cut through that. And I always use the family, their real blood family. Yeah. Okay. So responsible love and concern. When we say that in the treatment setting, what we're talking about is someone that you really care about, someone that you really love and care about. Okay. You always show responsible love and concern for, i.e. a parent always shows responsible love and concern for their children. Okay. In an ideal world, of course. Yeah. Okay. The love they show is responsible, meaning that if there needs to be discipline, there's discipline. If there needs to be affection, there's affection. Okay. They're both responsible, responsible forms of love. Right. Okay. In the treatment setting, when we say responsible love and concern, we're talking about everyone comes in and they when we narrow down what they've done throughout their life is accepting things, accepting themselves, accepting their friends, accepting family members, accepting things going on in their lives as eventually here they are in a drug treatment program. So we want to reverse that process of of acceptance to now challenging. I'm not going to accept that taking place in front of me. I'm not going to allow you to do that to smoke in my house. I'm not going to allow you to drink in my car. I'm not going to, you know, so you're, you're flipping the script. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a process that we're trying to teach. And that process is emboldened by the philosophy of responsible love and concern. So when you, so you hold yourself accountable, when you do something that you know is not appropriate and not in line with sustaining recovery, you hold yourself accountable. When someone in your close circle does something that is not in line with sustaining recovery, you hold them accountable. Responsible love and concern. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that somehow became snitching. It's exactly what it became. It became snitching. So I said, okay, if your brother, your blood brother, not your treatment brother, your blood brother, you're the older brother, your younger brother was involving himself in something that you knew could get him killed, would you say something to your father? Oh, absolutely I would. Well, that's showing responsible, that's showing responsible love and concern. Mm-hmm. You're letting your father know that, hey, Johnny over there is doing, you know, doing this and doing that. He might get himself hurt or, you know, or, or, or get you know, locked up or worse, get killed if he keeps on doing this. So you being responsible and showing responsible love and concern, you let dad know so dad, you and dad can possibly intervene. Right. Okay. Now, do you consider that snitching? No, no. I'm looking out for my brother. So why is it that if your roommate, okay, you know your roommate brought some contraband back to the facility, 
you know your roommate brought contraband back to the facility, but you did not want to be responsible and show the roommate responsible level of concern and say, hey, you know that doesn't belong here. So first there's the, the confrontation of the party that's violating your standards. Right. Okay. Hey, you're not supposed to do that here. It's the first level. Right. And they say, I don't care. I'm doing whatever I want to do. So then the next step up is you would go to the parent. Hey, Dad, you know, so-and-so, I, he was doing this. I said something to him. He blew me off. You go up the, la- you go up the ladder. Mm-hmm. So you go to the staff and you say, hey, so-and-so brought this back onto the property. I saw it. It's in his room. Responsible love and concern. Well, why is that important in the treatment setting? I always said, listen, why come into treatment looking for a safe environment, an environment that's different from the streets, so you can get away from the stuff that the street has to offer? And here's someone that comes in, and they're doing what? They're bringing the streets. Bringing it right in with them. Right into the facility with them. Okay? And nobody wants to say anything. Everybody's okay with it. So then all of a sudden, this safe environment becomes no different than the streets or jail. Right. So there's no more responsible love and concern. It's, well, I'm not going to be a snitch. Well, I thought snitching was a jailhouse attitude. Yeah. A jailhouse thing. Jailhouse way or, of thinking. Or a deep street thing. Or a gang thing. But if you were talking about someone you cared about, that it was being responsible. Right. So the question then becomes to the person, do you care about this person? If the answer is no, then there's nothing left for us to say. That's it. But if you dare say, oh, I do care about that person, then can you say you care about them, but you're not willing to step up and, and intervene? Right. Right. You can't say you care about somebody while watching them die. Exactly. Figuratively. Watching them do things that are going to lead them possibly to one of three outcomes. Oh, yeah. None of them positive. No. So we're fighting this battle today, Mr. Producer. You know it firsthand. We're fighting it today, real world today, this battle between responsible love and concern and snitching. Oh, and it's a and it's a front line fight. It's a it's oh, an in it's, your face fight. It's it's it's, it's the infantry. Uh huh. We don't have any air support. It's a battleground, you know, hand to hand combat. That's right. Of, of of the mind. Make sure you got that last part. Hand to hand combat of the mind. Mm-hmm. Trying to turn people's thinking yes, around. Sway that perception exactly. Mm-hmm. It was much easier yesteryear to do that. But once this infiltrated the mindset that, hey, I'm not going to be responsible with my brother or my sister because that's going to be interpreted as snitching, we then realized that, wow, the streets and the jailhouse have really overpowered the thinking process. Right. Yeah, it totally is like a societal today cultural type of deal yeah 
So it's not, yeah, you're not having people come in without having thought that, right. just thinking to themselves, I don't want to book so-and-so because it's like telling on them. No, right. they're coming in with this already beaten in their mind. This right. is not something you do. And so, yeah, it's a, it is a battle for sure. Now, the, the the scary part for me as a provider, uh, a counselor, is I know that if the person does not change this perception, change their thinking around this, that they're going to, again, get stalled. So here they are, you know, they've gotten the honesty, they've gotten the trust in your environment, they're doing the act as if, but, hey, I'm not snitching on nobody, sorry. Right. <laughs> so we haven't right. gotten the core four embraced, fully embraced, and they need all four of them have to be fully embraced for you to get on that highway, that recovery highway, safely, soundly, and with a good foundation. Yeah, totally accurate. Totally what's what's accurate. the saying? Stitches a, get stitches? <laughs> I heard uh, we once, uh, that was the saying, uh, pretty basic. Uh, and I once we had an adolescent girl. That's she, the first, well, I, I, that's the first place where we noticed it, right? With the adolescent. Yeah. The adolescents. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, because with so the adolescents clearly in life and in treatment or wherever you go, they're not as mature as adults are, uh, in their way of thinking or how you can break something down to them. Mm-hmm. So, mind you, adolescents have never really experienced this as a prison culture or no. anything crazy like that. This is something they hear on songs on the radio or see in an MTV music video, and they mm-hmm. just perceive it as cool. Right. Like if the uh, snitching is the opposite of that, mm-hmm. and I'm not that. Uh, and I once had a girl, a uh, client, a female client. She must have been no older than 13 and actually added on to the rhyme. I heard her saying it to one of her roommates, actually, uh, snitches get stitches and end up in ditches <laughs> was actually the full thing that she dropped right in front of me. She had no problem saying it to her roommate. Um, and I was making sure to stay close. So I might have to intervene if these two girls are going to get into a fight or something. But um, yeah, that's the, the saying went as far as that. Well, that's, so, that's not even an implied threat. That's a direct threat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. So all of those adolescents, Oh, yes. All the memories. Yes. Uh, the experience, uh, invaluable. The years it took off my life, at least double the, mm-hmm. the normal amount. So, um, But to restate the importance, we're not successful in swaying the mind of the adults now, who, who we deal with primarily, that responsible love and concern has a has an integral place in the establishment of their foundation. Um, This is something they're going to have to practice and implement when they're outside of the treatment environment. They're going to have to implement this with their own family members. They're going to have to implement this within their intra and interpersonal relationships. Imagine uh, being in a relationship and all of a sudden, uh, and I don't mean a, a, a romantic relationship, just a relationship either with your friends or family, whatever, and, you know, you got your own place, and with your own place comes your own rules, your own standards. That's right. And um, 
you know, people were coming over and disrespecting, smoking cigarettes, lighting up some weed and what have you, uh, totally violating the standards you have set right. for your own personal self and your personal surroundings, your area, your, yeah. that, that, your area. Your need to be accepted by them if you haven't learned to quell that now trumps that and they get to do whatever they want. Mm. So instead of showing them responsible love and concern by speaking up, speaking out, confronting the behavior, being direct about the behavior, speaking your piece about the behavior, even going as far if need to say, you know what, if you're going to do that, you can't be here. I had no problem telling people back in the day, you know, when it came to like certain things that can go on in my car. You know, if I, you don't, when you step in, you don't see garbage on the floor, cigarette right, butts. Right. And I don't, I don't, I didn't smoke cigarettes and all that stuff. So I can't have that in the car. So even if you were going to smoke a cigarette, or if I allowed you to smoke a cigarette, there could be no remnants or trail of it once you left. Right. Take your butts, your ashes, and everything. With <laughs> everything, you. everything else. Exactly. So you had to, you know, maintain and and not accept any negative behavior. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you have to have the capacity to show people responsible love and concern. You have to have the capacity to speak up, speak your mind. Stand up for yourself. Absolutely agree. So in the treatment environment, we try and create uh, an environment where you can practice that. You know, we have the booking system. Do you want to explain that in 10 sentences or less, the booking system? Fairly self-explanatory. I think we compared it to like getting a, a ticket. Exactly. Yeah, it's an opportunity for you to hold your peers and yourself accountable. Right. If you've broken a rule throughout the day, you can book yourself for breaking the rule. And at the end of the evening, everyone who's booked themselves or someone else will be stood up and given help by the rest of the family. Right. So if uh, the host and I are in a program, he cusses, cussing is against the rules. I can go book him for cussing. Mm -hmm. And then that evening, the host will be asked to stand up and told he was booked for cussing as well as whatever else he may have been booked for, and people in the family will give him help for that behavior. And that help is in the form of responsible love and concern. So they'll talk to me about my attitude, what kind of, who do I think I am, that I would dare curse on, on the radio. You know, That's right. What's behind that attitude? Is it an attitude that you think that you can do whatever you want, say whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want? Do we need to call your mother on this? You know, and anything goes. Right. Is it anger toward blog top? Maybe you ought to try dropping a slip or uh, taking exactly. blog top to encounter group. Exactly. Right. So, but it's the, as you stated, when we, when we write the ticket, i.e. the booking, and then there comes a time when we gather together as a family and we address them as a family, I get the opportunity as a member of the family to stand up and and show responsible love and concern by speaking to you in front of the family about your behavior, about the attitude behind the behavior, et cetera. And all I'm doing, even if even if the reality is I don't care about you at all personally, all I'm doing is really practicing. Remember we say how the treatment environment is like the Michigan Proving Grounds? You practice. You're just, That's right. You're just practicing. 
All I'm doing is practicing how I'm going to be. Give that. And give that to others when I'm out in the real world. Right. And so it's trying to get them to see that and get that. That's our challenge today. Yeah, and it is a real challenge and an important one. So that battle must live on. We've got a we've got a pretty big important update here. Uh, this has been being called out for from the fans and the media for years. Okay. Uh the NBA has officially unanimously approved the change of their seating system for the playoffs. So no longer will it be based on your division whether you've won or lost. It'll be based on your record. The Western Conference, the top 8 records will be seated as such as well as the East to avoid, I think last year the big, the big thing that drove that was the Clippers and the Spurs, Spurs facing yeah. in the first round, which shouldn't have happened because they were two of the best three teams in the West. Right. So it's changed. It'll be implemented the 2015-2016 season, which is this season. All right, sir. Thank you very much for that uh, very important uh, update. As the basketball season is upon us. Upon us. Yes, indeed. You notice how their training camp doesn't get a lot of uh, publicity or or hype. Like all of a sudden, the NBA's game one starts tomorrow. Yeah, you miss training camp. That's it. And this was back even when I followed basketball every day. It was like who cared about training camp? I was following uh, um, uh, spring training. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, right. Uh, We're lucky that they televise summer league these days. Yep. Uh, So the core four of the unwritten. In the beginning, honesty, trust in your environment, act as if, responsible, love, and concern. Those are the four ones that need to be the foundation in the very beginning. That's right. And at some point in the near future, we will get to the others and where and where they lie in the various parts of the treatment cycle. That's all I got. That's great. I think... Uh... I think we covered those four quite well. Uh, you gave some pretty good information. There's some stuff I'm glad that you brought up, specifically with the honesty, mm-hmm. um, as well as the trust in your environment. I've heard that analogy before. You will trust the drug dealer almost without even thought mm-hmm. when you actually get sober and think about that. It's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but you won't trust a place that is set up and designed to care about you. Mm-hmm. Um but so anyway, yeah, some good points. I think we covered it all. Can I just well add one more thing about honesty? Sure. Because a couple of clients over the years, uh, they were in, like, let's say, their phase four, um, getting ready to go into reentry out, leave, yeah. out of treatment successfully. And they were having a hard time finding like a place to live. So back then, I don't think it's now, but back then – they used to be on like on the rental applications, you know, have you ever been convicted of a crime right. or so on and so right. forth. And I said, when, when you see that, what do you put? They said, oh, yeah, I put, yeah, I've been convicted. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure have. Uh, robbery, uh, this, you know, drug dealing, you name it. Yeah. I, I said, dude, you can't put that down. He says, well, isn't that being dishonest? I said, listen, do you want to live under a bridge or do you want to live in an apartment? I don't, well, I don't want to live under a bridge. I want to live in an apartment. I said, well, you got to do what you got to do to live and survive in this world. Right. Okay? And so when, we, when you hear us talk all day long about honest, being honest, we're talking about you being honest with yourself. 
we're not talking about that once you step out into the real world that you're going to have to be 100% honest with everything you do because otherwise I'm going to be passing you underneath the bridge. Right. Okay, so do you want an apartment or do you want to live under the bridge? I want an apartment. The next time you get an application and that question comes up, have you ever been convicted of a crime, you check the no box. Yeah. And he was very shocked to hear me say that. He said, well, listen, I want you to live in an apartment. I don't want you to live under a bridge. So if that means I want you to check the no box, I would rather you check the no box and live in a warm apartment than check the yes box and live under a bridge. Right, exactly. And that's just the world that we live in. Now, -hmm. of course, now, at least in California, that stuff is no longer on the rental applications. Right. So you can be a homicidal, suicidal maniac. Yeah, that's right. Residential arson. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, no, well done. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being back. It was a great great way to come back. Good topic. So um, that about wraps it up, I suppose, for that segment. We do see that we have some callers on hold. They've been quite patient, hopefully enjoying the show. So we are going to take a commercial break. And on the other side, we will get to the callers in our recovery segment, recovery support time segment.
Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our recovery support time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our hosts will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery support time. A time for us to help you.
Okay, welcome back to Roadshow Recovery. We're now in our recovery support segment. Let's get right to the phones. We have people holding for a while. Why don't we start with uh, Jesse from EPA. Jesse, welcome. How are you doing? Good. How can we help you? Uh, I was wondering if you can uh, help me. I have a question. Um, how do I get back out and uh, not uh, reuse again? What ad- what advice do you give me on that as far as using marijuana? Well, it really comes down to uh, what a person's desire is. Um, where, where where are you at today in terms of your des- your desire? Do you still feel like you want you need want to use? At times I do, um, but I know that um, if I want to save and have things, as for example uh, an apartment or a nice car, I definitely need to cut back on uh, using marijuana because it's a uh, very costly well <laughs> that's an economic argument but let me ask you this question when you when you have those times when you feel like using do you ever stop do you ever stop and try and evaluate and analyze why why am i feeling this way at this moment in time well uh, due to a lot of stress i'm under uh, i'm not at the right spot in my life where I think I should be, so that's why I tend to use, uh, you know, to calm down and whatnot, so those are the feelings that I do have. And what what would be causing the stress now, let's say? Is it, are you anxious about what, you know, the, what the future may hold or, or, or what? Yeah, well, um, when I'm on the outs, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. You know, I'm worried about uh, where I'm going to be in the next couple of years or, like you said, for example, uh, what the future might hold, if I'm going to make it the next day or, you know, what what I'm going to eat for dinner or, you know, things like that. Well, some some of those things, believe it or not, will take care of themselves, but the most important thing is, you have to focus on what you're doing to help yourself in your sobriety today. And then when tomorrow comes, what you're doing tomorrow. That doesn't mean that you can't have short, medium, and long-term goals, which you should have, and they should be written down so that you can see them and see what you need to do to accomplish them. That kind of helps reduce that anxiety and that stress about, hey, what what's going to happen to me in the future? What's going to happen once I leave, you know, wherever I'm at, and I'm just out here now, out in the real world, what am I going to be doing? It's called okay. a plan. Do you hear me? All right. Yes, sir. Okay. Got to put a plan on paper. Start putting right. down what your goals are. What is it? What is it you want to do? Yeah, I have a plan uh, that I have on paper. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But, okay. Um, I uh, recently did that when I was uh, incarcerated um, before I got released. So 
You're right. Uh, and do, having those do you refer do you refer back to it to look at it, see if it needs to be updated, or see if you're on your right path and on your right track to accomplishing those goals on the plan? Well, from day to day, I uh, actually try to visually look back and see what you know, remember what I put on the uh, goals, and for the most part, I'm actually on the right track. Um, okay. Getting some help with my uh, addiction is uh, one thing. Okay. It's on the uh, list, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in, headed in the right direction. Okay. One day at a time. Okay. Don't try and don't try and rush it. All right. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Mr. Producer, I see you making a strange face. What? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to speak about it. Let's just move on to the next caller. <laughs> All right, let's go to uh, Mike calling from Salinas. Mike, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I've been in the program now for four year, uh, four months. Excuse me, four months, and uh, I plan to stay for. Does it feel like both- four years, Mike? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, it's, it's been refreshing actually, and uh, I met a friend in here, and uh, we've kind of hit it off pretty good. And I'm a little concerned because uh, uh, I've never had a relationship uh, in a program before. Uh, I mean, it's not like it's romantic or anything, but you know, we're we're a little bit better than friends. But uh, I try real hard not to let it interfere with my program. Because uh, I plan to stay until January or de- December or January before I graduate or complete my program, and uh, her her program is about the same as mine, uh, we're on the same uh, uh, level as it was. But um, is it good to have a relationship while you're doing your program, or is it too early, or maybe I should wait till I get further along in the program, or what do you think? I just have one question before the host takes over. Are you referring to um, someone who is at the same program you are or just someone that you're engaged or engaging in a relationship with who is in a different program but working no, on themselves? No, same program. Same program. Okay. I'll let the host take it from there. Okay. You're heading down the wrong road, Mike. Okay. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it never turns out well. It doesn't, huh? Nope. Oh boy. Okay, so I should like break it off then, huh? Absolutely. Okay. When you came when you when when you came into treatment, were you thinking about anybody else other than yourself? No, I wasn't. Right. Do you see how easy, easily, you can get sidetracked? Yes. Yes. Okay. Especially, especially, and and, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit because we have a number of X-File questions about, you know, co-ed programs and so on and so forth. But Uh if you're in a co-ed program, 
You know, you have to be especially on guard that you don't get caught up in a, a relationship that can, you know, that can, you know, blur the lines and, and step over the lines into, you know, to feelings and all that stuff instead of it being a mature, responsible, platonic friendship that you're working on because all that's going to happen is the focus is going to go off you and onto the other person, and then it takes both of you down. Oh, I see. I've seen I've seen this movie over and over and over and over again, Mike. Okay. Well, I appreciate the information. I kind of figured that, but I just wanted to get another another angle on it. That's all we're um, about, Mike. Is the information? Huh? I said that's all we're about. Is about the information. Now you have to go and do something with it. Yeah, I understand. Thank okay. you very much. You're Thank very you. welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. It took me a while to, uh, until he mentioned her, <laughs> and or when he said it's not a uh, what do you say? It wasn't uh, a, a romantic relationship. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But we're a little past just friends. A little more, yeah, a little more than friends. <laughs> Isn't that the lyrics to a song? A little more than friends. It has to be. Oh goodness. I like the straight up uh the honesty though, just yes. putting it on the table. Yes, and and, and at the and, beginning and, until and, it's done. First of all, yeah, we have to give Mike kudos and props for that because that's the best way to actually approach it is be honest with your feelings. Um because they're they're not wrong. You know, it's nature. I mean, you know, it's biological. There's nothing we you can do about it. That's just the nature of the beast of having, you know, co ed programs that people are going to you know our our last our show that we did before we went on uh hiatus or hiatus um was about relationships i believe in treatment so i know we got a lot of x-file questions about it that we'll hopefully get some time to read off that's i'll tell you that much uh let's see I'm just looking, Mr. Producer, for uh, one of our X-File questions. I try to never miss an opportunity to drop my favorite clips. All right, so here, here we go. Listen to this one. This is from Johnny. Can a romantic relationship and treatment be possible? Okay. No. <laughs> See, phone call from Mike... Mike from Salinas. Possible. And then Mark, can relationships be fruitful even after completion of the treatment program? So let's presume he means relationships that have were born out of the treatment environment. No. They can't be fruitful. And then Larry asked the question. I repeat, he asks the question of the day, why do most relationships fail in treatment? Well, Larry, I'm going to repeat what I said the last time we were on live, but in the Reader's Digest fashion. Because you circumvent the natural and the biological process that you would normally go through when you're courting or dating somebody. So the information you get 
just of a byproduct of being present in the treatment setting with the same, with the person that you're seeking to be in a relationship with, you've up, obtained it through unnatural means. You haven't earned it. You haven't earned the trust to be able to get that information. And so it's, it's like having an unfair advantage. And there's a reason why these eventually 99.9% of the time peter out these, 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 uh, what do we call them? Illegitimate relationships. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and you know we're saying this in the best interest of you know the parties involved. That look, the stats aren't in your favor. Stop now while you have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Get out while it, get out uh, you know ahead of time. You know. That's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to hate on anybody. We're not trying to hate on people uh, trying to, you know, find their... No, because whether it's being done consciously or not, uh, you're picking off folks who are vulnerable. Exactly. And you and it can be both ways. It right. doesn't have yes. to be one-sided. There doesn't have to be, like, a predator, so to speak, in this situation. Mutual vulnerability. Right. But when it's just natural that when you are feeling vulnerable and when you're feeling a little scared or unsafe, that you look for something or cling to something that's going to ease that feeling. Well, this is not going on a couple dates with somebody and then they open up about something that makes them feel vulnerable because they've chosen to open up with this about to, to you specifically because they, they trust and they want you want to see, maybe, if you can be that person that mm-hmm. they can rely on. Mm-hmm. No. People on, in inpatient programs after groups are walking around vulnerable left and right. right. And so, like you said, the nature of the relationship has not started organically. Right. It's, it's um, a product of the environment. It's right. a matter of what's happening that's putting those feelings out there. Right. And yeah, so you're not really getting to know somebody. You just oh, this this feels good now because right. I need something to feel good about. Right. So you can think that you know the the predator, <laughs> the level one predator. Let's let's be nice. Let's, just for today, the level one predator sitting in group, and the young lady sharing, and is is sharing something, and she is vulnerable at the group, and so he's scoping. <laughs> and first chance in the smoking yeah. area. Not, how, you, how you feel? How you doing? How, how you doing? I know that was a rough group. And just trying to worm his way, worm his way in there. With, yes. When he has bad intentions and bad agenda from the get go, you know, different from someone of the opposite sex saying, "Hey, you know, I really respect what you shared. You know, if you, you know, if you need someone to, t- you know, to talk to, you know, if you, you know, blah, 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 I'm here for you, but not." forcing yourself and trying to take advantage of the situation. You know what I mean? Because I've always said males need to learn how to be friends with females and females need to learn how to be friends with males without sexuality, sexual being a part of the relationship. Agreed. Because you're going to have to be able to do that. Not every member of the opposite sex or same sex, if it applies, that the relationship is going to be of a sexual nature. Right. So you have to learn how to to do that. So uh, yeah, those we'll end it on Larry's question, a statement really, or no, his question: Why do most relationships fail? Well, we just told you why they fail in treatment. All right, let's go to um, 
Catherine from San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Hi, thank you for having me. The 49ers. Um, I had a question actually on your show a few weeks ago. You were talking about writing amends to people um, in your uh, in your life. And I've been in treatment for a while now, and I'm looking to reach out and write amends to um, a former relationship that I was in. And I was just calling to see if you had any suggestions, um, just any advice that you have. Was was this the show in regards to forgiveness? Uh, I believe it was. About, I think it was like three or four weeks ago. Okay, so you want to contact someone to... Uh, as a part of making amends. Correct. Okay. And it's in regards to, obviously, if you're the one that wants to make amends, you have either, you know, treated them wrongly in some way, shape, or form, and you want to make amends for that. What's the best way to go about that? Correct. Okay. I'm a big fan of writing. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Because... Writing can uh, really get across what you're trying to say, um, and it leaves it leaves an avenue for the person to absorb it. You know what I'm saying? When you read a letter, you can read it. You can go back to it, read it again, because the first reading you might be, oh, who's she to write me and then trying to apologize for what she said, what she did. So I go through my first my first run through of feelings. When I go back the second time, I don't feel as strongly. The third time, you know, the feelings have dissipated. The fourth time, I'm ready to accept your amends. You follow what I'm saying? Versus versus a phone call or a face-to-face contact where I don't have that space to go through my process. A letter allows that. It allows me as the recipient to go through my process of what I have to go through to accept your your request to, to make amends. So I'm a big fan of letters. Mr. Producer, I don't know if you want to add. Letters. Um, yeah, I think there's something to be said about having something on paper that somebody can read. And like you said, um, that kind of weathers the the initial feeling or reaction or response uh, that you may have to deal with if you were going to have an interaction like this face-to-face or even over the phone. Um, because just based on someone's response, it would be easy to get sidetracked from the message you're trying to deliver. Yes. A letter can be well thought out, given, and then there is a space there uh, to allow for, uh, like the host said, a response or a reaction that may not occur if this happens in person because the focus may be lost if an argument ensues or anything else that may happen with something that is definitely going to evoke strong emotions. Um, that said, I think a letters are a little old school. Um, you know, you send it off through the Pony Express. Who knows if it ever gets there? What you trying to say? <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, there's still forms of writing in modern society that may not involve going to the post office and purchasing a stamp. <laughs> but I do like that, that theory in general of making sure the individual has something to sit with and that space for both of you, not just space for the individual that's the recipient, but for you as well, because it can be easy when we have been in a relationship where we have cared about somebody 
uh, to be in a moment where we see them hurt or we're seeing them struggle um, to feel, to empathize with them. And that may also dictate a little change in the, in the response or the message being delivered. Catherine. Yeah. This is why a letter is always best. Number one, you take the time out to write it. Mm-hmm. You got to put it in the envelope, seal it, and stamp it. And that's right. Send it off to be mailed. The person on the receiving end has to open it, read it, and then respond. You know, react to it. Even right. to me, sending an email. First of all, no text messaging. That's out. But right. even sending an email to me, does not provide... Yeah, I'm just old school. I like the letter. Okay. There's no other no other way to justify that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I hope we've helped. Okay. We've talked a lot. I hope we've said something that made sense. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I'll ask you a quick question as the host. Maybe you can sum this up in two minutes or less. Why exactly is it do you think you prefer the the letter as opposed to the other forms of writing? Maybe because um, the letter has played a integral part to my wife and I existing today as a married couple. Maybe that's one Fascinating. of the letters. <laughs> Hear you loud and clear. There's a personal touch to it. Yes. And maybe that story will be shared one day on the the air. I believe in the communications business, that's what's called a tease. Yep. Uh, All right. Let's go to Roger from San Jose. Roger, welcome. Hello. Hello. You're on, Roger. Hey, what? How do I uh, build up a friendship with another female when, when for me it's hard building a, a relationship with a female because all I want to do is, you know what, with them. I didn't get the first part of what you said. Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Like, how do I make a friendship with a female, or keep one when it's like I do whatever I could to make them my friend, and then but what I really want to do is, uh, just have sex with them. Then you're not interested in being friends with them. Yeah. So how do I build up a relationship to that where it's just I look past them to that point? Okay, Roger, I'm about to say something, and I don't want you to get insulted, okay? Okay. That's a character issue. All right. If you can't, if so far in your existence, if you can't, Mm -hmm. if you don't have the character to be able to first look at a woman and say, I can be friends with her without having to have a sexual relationship with every single woman that I encounter, okay? That's a character flaw. All right. Because what happens if you get with a woman that you call, quote-unquote, your girlfriend, and she has the same character flaw? and And feels... Feels the same way about men. Are you going to be happy about that? Probably not. No, definitely not. So you would want a woman 
that can be can have fr- platonic friendships with men, but her main guy, her intimate guy, is just you. Mm. Right? Yeah. Well, guess what? She would want the same. Mm-hmm. That she is, your, you know, your main girl, and that you have the ability, the maturity, the responsibility to have a platonic friendship with other females. She would want the same thing in return. And if you're not able to do that, then we got some growing to do. Yeah. All right. And by the way, just as a side closing note, If you how how old are you by the way? I'm twenty six. Okay. If you're fortunate, one day you're going to be fifty six. If you're fortunate, you're gonna be you're gonna make it to age fifty six, okay? And All at right. age fifty six at age fifty six you we myself the host, the co host the engineer, the producer, the call screener, all five of us <laughs> would hope that by then you would have understood that the most important aspect of your body, the most sexiest part of your body is your brain. Mm. Not that thing between your legs. Yeah. <clears throat> Follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I got you. You want to be friends with a woman? Be friends. It takes it, it. It's a good thing to practice discipline and not involve yourself sexually with every woman that you meet, because yeah. what you may be missing out on is a great friend, and it gets yeah, ruined. Right. It gets ruined by involving sexual sexuality into the mix. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. All right. I just want to say we get a, we're, we've been a lot of calls and a lot of questions through our X Files on this issue of relationships. Mm-hmm. We've already done two shows on relationships. Right. Relationships in general. Relationships in treatment. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Right. One thing we haven't taken into consideration, though, is that there is, you know, turnover in terms of True. listenership and so, right. and so forth. So um, people could be listening for the first time. Yep. All right. Let's go to uh, James from Hayward. James, welcome. How are you doing? Good. Uh, my question is. Does the desire to ever stop using drugs ever happen? Yes. Like, you know, if you go into if you go into treatment but you still have that desire, does that desire ever go away? Yes. 
don't know, cause it's it's hard. It's hard, so that's why I was. I don't. I mean, I've been in treatment for now. I mean, not that long for about two weeks. Um, you know, and I can't help but just you know keep thinking about the future. And you know, every time I step through through these doors, I just wonder, like, okay, you know, I'm I'm trying to live, live a clean and sober life now, and uh, you know, do things the right way. But sometimes in the back of my mind, I just feel like the craving just to still use is still always going to be there. How do you get rid of that? Did you say the cravings to use? Yes. What drugs did you use? Crystal meth. Okay. What happens is, um, James, the mistake people make is they don't give themselves enough time to get to the point where they actually experience the cravings dissipating, going away, getting less and less and less and less. Right. It's a two. It's like a um, let's call it a concurrent process. You know, like when a judge sentences people to prison, they sentence you either to if let's say if you have two charges, they'll say you either serve them consecutively or concurrently. Well, of course, the last word you want to hear is uh, consecutively because then you're going to serve them back to back. But there's two concurrent things going on. You have your memory bank of what you did, right, when you were out there using and doing what you were doing, right? Right. So that will never go away because you will always remember what you have once done, okay? Right. And then you will have what you feel. So you got your thoughts and your feelings. The question becomes, does the feelings go away? All right. The answer, like I said at the very beginning, is yes. But what it depends on is what's the person's mindset? Are they committed right. to a life of sobriety? Because if they are committed, then those feelings are going to dissipate very quickly. Right. Because their whole mental focus is on something totally different. Right. But if they haven't made that commitment yet, which you're only in two weeks, so I wouldn't expect that normally, okay? Right. If you haven't made that commitment yet, then, yeah, you're going you're gonna to struggle in and out until that time comes. And for each person, it's different. Some people walking in the door, boom, they've made that switch. I'm done. I'm over. That life is done for me. I'm focused on getting my life back together. Some people take some a few weeks. Some people take some four or five months before they get there. The whole key is, can you hang in there until that flip happens? That's the key. I appreciate that. Thank you for the okay. insight. And I'll, uh, I'll definitely keep that in mind. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's a real deal call. It's a real struggle. Um, he's only in two weeks. I don't know if he was incarcerated prior to, if he had any clean time mm. on top of that. But, um, you know, two weeks, everything is fresh, 
right? You know, it's everything is still in, right there in front of you. Um, and, you know, that first 30 days, when you, you know, it's a struggle to, to keep, someone, keep someone from running out that door. Mm-hmm. And if you can get them past that 30-day mark, then, you know, like the 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 outcomes of keeping them longer just exponentially increases. Right. Yeah, that first 30 is so tough. Yep. So tough. All right, let's go to um, Gary from San Jose. Gary, welcome. Thank you. Um, I've uh, been doing a 12-step program, and um, I uh, I keep getting stuck on the fourth step. For some reason, I just can't seem to be honest enough with myself to put everything down like I'm supposed to. And I'm wondering, is there a way where I can find a way to to just be honest and write everything I need to write down? And because um, uh, I'm worried, you know, because I have a a pretty bad past, and I'm just worried about being judged and um, not being given a chance to. Uh, move forward. Is the fourth step the personal inventory step, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Why are you struggling with that one? Well, because um, I have stuff in my past that is really, really hard for me to, to bring out you know, I mean, I'm supposed to find a sponsor whom I can trust, you know, not to uh, blab all over the, the world about what I did and how many times I did it or, you know, um, why I did it and things like that. And I'm, uh, I get stuck on the fourth step. And um, I don't mind doing the work. But I just, you know, I'm so ashamed of what I did. It's hard for me to uh, to put it down on paper. And you know, it's hard for me to find a sponsor that I can trust. Well, why don't you put it on paper just for your for your for your own self? Forget about putting it on paper for anybody else. What about just for you? Well, if I did that, I would still have to show it to a sponsor, though, wouldn't I? No. No, let's take baby steps. What do you mean? What I mean is we want the whole purpose of the personal inventory is for you to take an honest look at yourself, who you are, who you've been, and what do I need to do to become a better person. Right. Okay, it's not it's it the purpose of the step is not about having to show somebody else something. No, it's about you. It's about you. Not about anybody else. And so if 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 putting it down on paper just for you to be able to look at and see and read and go over that's what's more important. Forget about anybody else seeing it. That's what's going to allow you to slowly, as you put these, as you as you write it, it'll allow you to slowly, at your pace, start to talk and share about these things. And by the way, by the way, 
listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. And don't misunderstand it. That's why I want you to listen carefully. Nobody cares. What do I mean by that? We're not going to judge you. What we care about is you getting better. Not what you've done. The only reason you have to purge what you've done is because keeping it inside of you only hurts yourself. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't hurt anybody else. It only hurts you. So the secret is getting it out and purging it from yourself. Hmm. So we don't care what it is. The program that I'm in has uh, agreed to uh, allow me to go one-on-one with a therapist. That's and, fine. Um, and um, I'm hoping it's one I can trust. Because if I can get it out, then I know I'll feel much better about it and maybe be able to move on from there. But I, Well, let, like me I ask, said, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What drugs did you do? Crack. And you had no problem trusting the crack dealer. No, I didn't have any problems doing that. Right, so then you should have no problem trusting a therapist. Because there's absolutely nothing a therapist is going to do that's going to hurt you or harm you. Yeah, that makes sense. It's only going to, whomever it is, they're only going to be doing things to help you. Okay. So you you should be walking in trusting. Okay. Okay. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I was about to ask you something, but I forgot we were still on the air. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> on the air, by the way, for another five minutes sharp, and you're getting cut off. That's it, cut-off time? Yes. All right, let's go to... Um, Lacey from Santa Cruz. Lacey, welcome. Thank you. So my question is, is I am thinking about having um, children, but I've done a lot of Lacey? pain pills. And, yes. I need you to speak up a little bit louder. I can't hardly hear you. I'm thinking about having more children, and I've done a lot of drugs and um, a lot of pain pills and alcohol, and I was wondering how much damage that would have done to my reproductive system, and if that's even a good idea, given the history with the drugs and alcohol, to bring more children into it. The best person to ask that question is your doctor. Okay. It's a very good question. It's an it's a honest question. But your doctor is the best person to ask that question. Thank you. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have we gotten our honorary doctorates yet? Not yet. Not yet. I'm waiting for a phone call from Stanford. I've been standing by. Okay. All right. I'll let you know when that comes. All right. You have you You maybe have time for this Last caller, it will be 
we could coin this our wild card. It's, it's unscreened. It just came in. You never know. It's like a box of chocolates. Uh, but you've got about three minutes if you want to give it a shot. All right. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Uh, Jesus. And hometown is San Bruno. Hi, Jesus. How can we help you? Yes, I have a question um, regarding recovery. Uh, my the, the question is, how important uh, it is for a person to stay connected with uh, with their, uh, for example, uh, I I got my recovery or my sobriety with another group. Uh, how important is it to stay connected with that group? It's very important. Okay, like uh, because I, I'm in a program and I have to reach up to a certain level before I'm not allowed to go and uh, share with them or be with them. Uh, okay. It's going to be a lapse time of uh, almost six months. How important in my in my stages of recovery is that the earth that I what I'm trying to say is, is like okay. Is it important enough to go start going with uh, in the like within the first three months of being in a program? No, the time doesn't matter. They'll be they'll they'll be there when you're when you're ready to interact with them. Okay, but you say it is very important. It's if you if if you have established a bond, a recovery bond elsewhere. That's like having a feather in your cap. That's oh, like money okay. in the. It's like it's like money in the bank. So you know when you finish this program that you're in, that you're going to have this other thing that's going to be a part of your whole sobriety circle. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It ain't so going I'll, anywhere. I know they'll be there. They'll be so there for that- you. And so now I have two two groups that I could one that I find more with my by myself and the other one that I I got my sobriety. So, okay, that's thank good. You. You're very welcome. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. All right, bye bye. He wants to have the two dabs. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at the all. More, the more the merrier. The merrier in the recovery circle. Shoot. How much time we got, sir? I got a couple of... Uh, Excuse me. Yeah, you got about one minute. Oh, well, one minute. Yep. Let's see if I can... Uh, We're at 55 seconds now. Damn it. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. Uh, I have a bad relationship with my family and my baby mama. That's how he wrote it. Uh, is it really healthy to reach out to them and risk being let down, or is it better for me to stay positive and move forward? Is my opinion. It's better to stay positive and reach out right. to them and risk being let down because it's your family and you have a child, obviously, by referencing your baby mama, right. and that child needs their father. So be positive and reach out and take the risk. That's my answer. It's a great answer, uh, and I completely agree. You can stay positive, be open to the idea that you might be let down, but it's worth a shot. Absolutely. And, and the child, child deserves it. Exactly. Well said. All right. Well, 
uh, don't cut me off, so say anything you need to say now, because huh. I'm going to drop the music. Uh, I can't say All right, more. that's it. You lost your time. <laughs> it has been great to be back with you all. We want to thank everybody who called in, all the constant support that we get. We really appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to chatting with you all next Tuesday. Hope you all have a great week and a fun and safe weekend.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Until then, baby, are you gonna let it pull you down and make you cry? Don't you know, don't you know?